Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Film Club Podcast, where every month we deep dive into a different aspect of cinema. Directors, actors, franchises, doesn't matter, because it's always fun at the Film Club. I'm Dean. I'm Boo. And this month, we're talking about a director, your favorite director. My favorite director. We had to go through yours during your birthday month, so we're going to go through my favorite director for my birthday month. We're going to be talking about Tim Burton all of December. Yes, we are. And how best to start with tim burton then with his first movie first feature film peewee's big adventure yes starring paul rubens directed by tim burton comes out in 1985 and this launches him into the fucking stratosphere right oh yeah definitely this is the movie that made him tim burton well the movie that made him tim burton was beetlejuice but like he like okay tim burton has never been like my guy like, I, I've never been like, oh, Tim Burton's favorite director. But he's, like, one of the first directors I was able to identify watching, right? Because mm-hmm. Beetlejuice, uh, Edward Scissorhands, Batman. Uh, Batman, they all have a very distinctive style. Yeah. And it's insane to me because I thought, oh, well, he probably made, like, a couple indie movies that probably didn't work out. No. His first film is Pee-wee's Big Adventure, which is a massive hit yeah he follows it up with beetlejuice which is another massive hit that shouldn't work on paper both of these movies shouldn't work on paper and then he does batman which takes over the world and just destroys every box office across like generations right yes and i'm like he started with fucking peewee yeah it just that does not compute with me that he starts with peewee's big adventure why not i mean doesn't this kind of fall into the realm of the world of tim burton where it's just you know very vibrant and loud and i it's not german expressionist enough no it's it's hard to explain it it's just it's tim burton it's his style i i there are a lot of aspects of the film that feel tim burton-y like the 50s kitschy stuff Mm -hmm. like that's very tim burton-y but the issue that i've bumped against is that it's also the paul rubens peewee herman aesthetic yeah which i think that's probably why they paired up so well to each other is because they both were like drawing from the exact same pool of influence you know 50s kitschy tv you know they were both into monster movies both into this and that yeah it it feels like this was like the tim burton style is filtered through the peewee herman aesthetic but Beetlejuice, that's like full-on Tim Burton style, yeah. right? I and mean, we, we talked about Beetlejuice last month? month in before? October. In October, you're right. Yeah. Don't, yeah, no, no secret we record these wildly out of order. Yeah, you know, it happens. But yeah, we, we see the beginning of the Tim Burton aesthetic, and we see it evolve over the years. But this is totally in the camp of Tim Burton aesthetics. I I would say so, yeah. It's just, I feel it's it's a little filtered, but Pee Wee Herman. Yes. I'm assuming you were a Pee Wee Herman kid. Oh, absolutely. I grew up watching the movie, grew up watching Pee Wee's Playhouse. Well, both movies, Big Top Pee Wee as well. I had never seen this movie, Big Top. My only exposure to Pee Wee Herman was Pee Wee's Playhouse, yeah. the, the, the TV show, right? So when I see this movie yesterday, I'm like, where's cowboy curtis where's the genie where's well, where's cherry Where, here, here we start up with some of your lies because you didn't just watch it for the first time yesterday you watched it for the first time at the frida a few months ago i said yesterday for comedic effect but yes we did see this in theaters for um it was a memorial 
uh, screening for Paul Rubens? Yeah, it was his memorial screening, and it was also during our, you know, quote, hurricane that we got. Oh, uh, yep. Whatever the, the name, was it Hurricane Hillary? Uh, something like that, yeah, because California has this thing where if it rains, then it's a monsoon that will destroy the state. Um, And uh, granted, it was like actually a big like hurricane thing, but we live so far inland that it got to us and nothing. It was a light drizzle it, for like a few hours. It wasn't a light drizzle. We got a lot of rain, but yeah, we went, uh, a lot of people ended up not going because, again, we had a, a tropical storm warning. And yeah, Dean was the only one in the room that hadn't seen the movie before. I was literally the only one. There was a room of like maybe 30 people in there. I think it was less because I mean, both screenings were completely sold out. And then because of the storm, not that many people went. But I just know a lot of people looked at me. And I think the guy who asked the question literally laughed at me. He laughed at you. But before that, there was a lady that was sitting maybe behind us or two rows behind us that audibly gasped when she, you know, heard. No, I've never seen it before. She's like, <gasps> and I'm like, yeah, my, my same reaction, lady. I couldn't believe it. Well, again, it's one of those things. I watched the show, the movie. I don't know how I missed this one. You it, miss a lot of classics. Uh, no. Okay. Here's the thing. I don't miss a lot of classics. It's just like very specific era of film. I just have no context for uh-huh. because again, my parents are like, watch whatever you want like i don't like they Mm. just didn't care like i could just watch predator at like six like or terminator all this other stuff so there's like kids movies of very specific eras that i just have no exposure Mm -hmm. to and this is kind of in there that like late 80s early 90s era i just have no exposure to that as Mm -hmm. like from a child's perspective like i have no nostalgia for any of this stuff yeah but you know you want to talk about like predator aliens or anything like that oh yeah i watched those a bunch as a kid those were great Last Action Hero fucking slaps, by yeah, the way. Yeah, I do love Last Action Hero. Uh, John McTiernan, you know, he's out of prison now. We're going to get some more great movies, I swear. But today we're talking about Pee-wee. We're not talking about Predator, Aliens, Last Action Hero. Same era, same era. But yeah, we are talking about But, but someday in the future, maybe. Maybe, maybe. But yeah, the this movie has a very weird way of becoming, coming into existence. Because, what is it? I, I guess people don't might not know this or realize this, but the movie came before the show. Yes. And and the act of Pee-wee came before the movie. Yeah, and that's like another weird thing was Paul Rubens basically, for those who don't know, he was like an improv like guy in like Southern California, and he was like almost on SNL, and he was basically like... Yeah, he was a stand-up comedian through the 70s. Um, he tried to get on SNL, and they ended up dropping him like the day before or the week before he was supposed to come on the show. He was one of the front runners for the 79 season of SNL. So, like, he was going to be on SNL with, like, Eddie Murphy, all these people. With the bigs. With the big, with the, yeah, the big people of SNL, all the famous ones. And they dropped him, like, the very last second they could and just went with, like, mm-hmm. a different actor. Yeah. And he was, like, kind of pissed about it. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to make my own, you know, act with blackjack and hookers. And he kind of created this idea of I'm going to be a comedian that's a terrible comedian. And from that kind of spawned the Pee Wee Herman original character, Yeah, I think. Yeah, he ended up creating Pee Wee and then he would, you know, do it at these shows. And then it kind of turned into this thing where, okay, we're not going to go see Paul Rubens. We're going to go see... Pee-wee, 
his you know stage act mm. and then it spawned into a movie deal yeah it's it's the thing that happened with like Ernest. yeah and, which okay i was not um a peewee kid like i want to call myself a peewee kid but i was an Ernest kid I oh watched, i loved Ernest too i watched all those Ernest movies like jim varney like fucking right like mm, right here i mm-hmm. loved all of those movies Ernest scared stupid Ernest goes to camp Ernest goes to africa i watched Ernest all saves christmas Ernest saves christmas Ernest slam dunk there's mm-hmm. god damn it there's so many of those fucking Ernest movies Ernest goes to prison yeah um but yeah like that was kind of a similar tra- a similar thing that happened because jim varney got the job of being just a local tv spokesperson for like some local ad campaign mm-hmm. and uh, it was uh what was it like the gray poupon mustard or it was, it was something it was before our time oh yeah this was like in in like the mid early 80s i think but he got big doing an ad campaign locally like in tennessee or mm-hmm. some shit and then somebody was like you know this guy's like got something we'll we'll go national with this and then everyone was like you know, this commercial is like kind of funny and he's got a very like weird vibe. Maybe we'll make a cartoon about it. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, you know, the cartoon, everything's doing well. Now let's put him in movies. And he made like 14 movies. Yeah. It, it launched his career. And like people don't realize that like Ernest and J- like Jim Varney's an actor and Ernest P. Worrell is a character he yeah. portrays on screen. And that's the same thing that happened with Paul Rubin and Pee Wee Herman. Like if people don't know this. Paul Rubens had never done an interview on live television as Paul Rubens. He had been on Letterman, SNL, all these shows. As Joan, Rivers, Joan so, Rivers. So many shows. And yeah, he came on as Pee Wee because he was Pee Wee. Pee Wee was an extension of Paul Rubens. And it's one of those rare instances where you see an actor create a character and still love that character. Yes, because this happens with a lot of actors who embody a character, become widely popular, become part of the pop culture lexicon. Mm -hmm. Like Leonard Nimoy as Spock. That's the famous one. Mm -hmm. He was like, I was Spock for three seasons of Star Trek, a couple of movies, and no one can take me seriously as an actor because they only see Mr. Spock. Mm -hmm. Like I cannot play, you know, I can't do King Lear anymore without people saying, oh, look, it's Mr. Spock doing Shakespeare. He's like, I can't escape that. Paul Rubens was like, yeah, you know, people kind of like, you know, it got old after a while, but I still love doing the character. Mm -hmm. He came back to do it. And it's, you know, a thing where eventually he was like, I just can't keep up with being Pee Wee Herman anymore. I kind of want to like go away and do something else. And then he goes away and, you know, has like whatever. And then he comes back in 99 with Mystery Men. So he has like a very interesting career arc and like the Jim Varney Ernest thing is the closest I could equate to the Pee Wee Herman like trajectory. Mm -hmm. And then you have Tim Burton who like he's your favorite director, right? I think so. I think we we mapped it out like a year ago or two years ago where I was like, I don't know, because I love so many, you know, different genres of film. I love Spielberg movies, but I was like. Really, to the core of me, yeah, Tim Burton is my favorite. I remember you said that, and I was like, not fucking surprised. You were literally, thing. you were literally doing the episode in a nightmare shirt, like a literal nightmare for Christmas shirt. Yeah, you know, it happens. I have many of them. Yes, but Tim Burton, like that's he's gonna be the theme of the whole month. So there's a whole like career trajectory we're gonna yeah. go into. But let's just get started with the how does he come into this movie? Which is kind of weird. I didn't know either because I never really thought about it. 
It's just, you, you, I just enjoy the movie. Yeah, you, you take the product, right? It's yeah. This weird, like, backstory, though, is kind of wild. Because, what is it? He worked for, like, Disney. Yeah, Tim Burton worked for Disney. Uh, Disney Touchstone. We talked about that a little bit in our Nightmare Before Christmas episode a few months ago. Yeah. But it was a thing where we got to talk about Pee-wee before we could talk about Tim Burton. Warner Brothers approached Pee-wee because they had seen his stage show. And they were like, we love this. We want you to make a movie. And Paul Rubens, when he was in the process of doing this, he had never written a script before. And he was like, you know what? Pollyanna is my favorite movie. Let me write a movie that's basically Pollyanna. And then this is where inspiration struck was he was on the Warner Brothers backlot. And it was something that we had mentioned when we were there for our tour earlier this year was the amount of bikes that are at Warner Brothers. And it was so cool that they're keeping with tradition. Well, and it's, that's what he saw. He saw the bikes and he was like, you know what? I'm going to switch it from Pollyanna to a story about a bike. Well, that's the thing. Like, it's half tradition and just half practicality. This yeah. is something wild. If you ever go to any film set, a bunch of people are rolling around on bikes because it's just easier to get around on a big studio on a bike because you, you can't just get into a golf cart every time. You can't get into a car no. every time. And the studios are huge. So a lot of people just roll around on bikes. And it's just funny that Paul Rubens is like, I'm just going to do a remake of Pollyanna, but with Pee Wee Herman in it. And then he sees a bike and he's like, wait a minute, I got an idea. Because what is it? I know he co-wrote it with Phil Hartman. With Phil Hartman, who is, you know, very famous. He was on SNL. He was also the voice of uh, Troy McClure on The Simpsons. Yes, he was. And also Michael Varho. I'm not too familiar with him. But I know that they never had like seen a screenplay or like written a screenplay before they had to go buy a book how to write a Uh, screenplay i i have the book it's sid field's uh how to write a screenplay that is the textbook that i was given for film school yeah of how to write a screenplay and like i I think that's why peewee's big event we're gonna get into when we get into the actual movie it's why its structure is very strong they wrote 90 pages and the movie ended up being 90 minutes uh yes and that's the that's the equation right you know every page of screen is or every page of a screenplay is one page of um, actual footage Mm -hmm. or one minute of footage um you you get what i mean but sure it is really interesting that these guys that warner brothers is like Fuck it. Yeah, just kind of wing it. Just do whatever. They must have had so much confidence in the Pee-wee act and aesthetic. Like, it might have just been a thing where, like, Cheech and Chong came out. And they're like, oh, well, Cheech and Chong, like, they were basically the same thing. They were kind of this, like, stand-up act. And, you the know. Blues Brothers. Blues Brothers. These, these. It's like, people want to go to the theater and laugh. Yeah, well, they, they were like, these are just random sketch characters, but they just work on screen. Mm-hmm. So we'll just do it with Pee-wee, right? Yeah. So it was also a thing where we've got this group of guys that are now writing the script and now they need a director. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of like, well, yeah, how did Tim Burton get into the equation? So apparently Paul Rubens had seen uh, Vincent. We talked about it during our Nightmare episode. I believe so, but we were were a little brief with it. So because what happens, because I, I had to look this up too. So, because Tim Burton gets his goes out of Cal Arts and he graduates with basically everyone who founds Pixar. Yeah, like he's in classes with like Bill Burr and like John Lasseter, all these guys. Mm-hmm. He goes over to Disney, 
they're they are trying to get him incorporated because they're like he's talented but everything he animates is like like either too weird too dark it's just not disney mm-hmm. enough but they don't want to like kick him out of disney or fire him because look he's not working for us but he can go off to another company and he might make something that'll be mm-hmm. too good so they give him just money and be like just animate something just do something because they're trying to incubate Mm -hmm. talent and be like eventually we'll find something that get this guy to work on and that's how he gets the funding for vincent yeah and it's like yeah he he makes vincent in 82 and from there he makes frank and weenie in 84 and that's when he leaves uh disney yeah and frank and weenie gets like around the studios and around everyone and they're like this is a calling card like this guy can direct oh yeah and it's a thing where people are just like wow this is really good you know this weird guy quote unquote that you know he's not he doesn't hold up he is kind of a weird guy (sighs) sorry but this is my realm so he's not you see that man's hair yeah he's kind of a weird guy and it's hair it's weird but you know paul rubens sees vincent and he's kind of like, yo, this is fire. Let's hire him. And he hires him, him and Tim Burton meet. And it's a thing where Tim Burton's like, wow, we're kind of similar. You know, we have the same kind of humor. We like off the wall, kitschy things. It's exactly what we were saying before is they were pulling from the exact same well. Mm-hmm. It's just like Tim Burton took it as like, oh, we'll make it kind of like creepy and dark and like spooky, but it'll still be funny. And Paul Rubin's like, let's make it wacky. And then to, you know, to really, you know, talk about history, we have Tim Burton and Danny Elfman for the first time, and it's because of Paul Rubens. Pee-wee brought these two legends together, and the world would change after, in a a beautiful way. Really? Yeah. Uh, They were looking for a composer, and he asked if they could hire Danny Elfman because he was a big fan of Oingo Boingo. And they're like, yeah, let's go for it. And then history was made. It is... Fast. Okay, it is fascinating to me that in '85, Warner Brothers is like, we'll just because this movie cost what like five million, ten million to make in '85. Uh, let's see. The budget was six million. Okay, the budget for this movie is like six million dollars. '85. That's probably mm-hmm. like twenty-ish, thirty-ish million now. But that's like a thing. Just. They just kind of gave them money and be like, just do whatever you want, guys. Like, it's just, it'll be fine. And then I know open- you've never written a screenplay before. Just wing it. Oh, I know you kind of want this weird, unproven composer. Just wing it. I know you wanted to hire this director who has only directed two short films and is kind of weird. Sure, just roll with it. It, it is astounding to me that the studio is just like, eh, fuck it, go for it. Eh, whatever. We'll figure I mean, it out later. It made $4 million in its opening weekend. It made $4 million in its opening weekend and then proceeded to make $4 million every single weekend that followed until it hit, like, what? Nine, like, $40 million, $100 million? Uh, $41 million. Oh, that's right. Yeah, it's $41 million, and then that equates to, I think, $100 million today? It's something like that. Yeah. I did the inflation calculator before. But it is, again, it is wild that this movie just kept on keeping on. And it just kind of works. It just kind of works. It does. It's a good movie. I love this movie. But now we should probably tell people what the movie's about. Yes. Now I've I busted out the back of the box today. It's it, been a while. It has been. It's a special day. It is. It is. It is. But for anyone wondering what the movie's about, here's what it's about. A hyper-energetic man-child gets his prized bike stolen, and he vows to get it back. 
He then treks across America from truck stops, biker bars, train cars, and the Alamo on his quest to save his bike, eventually landing him on a Hollywood backlot and a movie deal on the horizon. This is the story of Pee Wee Herman. Haha. <laughs> oh, God. Um, but yeah, the the it is very interesting that they are structuring this entire movie as a road comedy, yeah. right? Pee-wee is on is running across America to try and save his bicycle, which in is like such a low stakes thing in the normal world, but is so very deeply important to the character of Pee-wee Herman. Yeah, because I mean, think of it, you know, Pee-wee's like a big kid. Yes. And, you know, and children, there's children that absolutely love their bikes. And it's like you could totally see that's why this is so important. He's a big kid. His bike, his beloved, has been stolen from him, and he's willing to go to the end of the earth to find it. That is something that struck me when the movie got started, right? Mm -hmm. I could, because, you know, he lives on his own. He has his own house. He has a dog, whatever. And I'm trying to figure in my head. I'm like, okay, like, I know the universe is elevated, but there's, like, parents and all this stuff. How old is Pee-wee? I don't think we ever have a... A structure Mm -mm. as to how old he is. Because Pee-wee is, like... You know, I, I think I wrote down hyper energetic man child, but he's not a man. He's he's pitched as like a seven year old, like a hyper energetic like child. Yeah, like, he's a man child. Yeah, he's a man child, but it's like there's no like oh like man or mat like he's he's literally has the vibe of there's man because that man's obviously paying a mortgage. <sighs> yeah, and in California, the house is in Pasadena. That's a lot. That's a high mortgage. It is, Mm-mm. but it it is one of those things where I'm like, I I don't really understand like like the Pee Wee structure, right? Because he is he acting he's acting like kind of this, you know, kid who's just like kind of a snarky kid, you know? Because sometimes Pee Wee's like a little rude to people, but it's mm-hmm. like he's he's walking a fine line. I'll put it like that. Paul Rubens is walking a very fine line with this character between incredibly annoying Mm -hmm. or coming off as some sort of parody of of like a very specific type of character that just doesn't work and it just happens to work i i don't know why it's working so well you look so confused i am this movie's really confusing just on the whole like peewee herman is very confusing honestly like why does peewee work it just does See, that's the thing. You're like, it just does. Like, let me why? let me hit you with your favorite phrase. It's lightning in a bottle. That's your favorite phrase. No, it's yours because you bring it up and you're like, I don't understand this lightning in a bottle. It it just works. It just works. It it's does. A, it's an unexplainable thing in the universe. Yes. Uh, but yeah, so the movie opens with Pee-wee basically just like waking up in this nice, you know, goofy house. That's not the house from, you know, Pee-wee's uh, playhouse, which I'm so angry no, about. No, these are two different worlds. Yes, which or, is, or two different universes, which is weird, a little bit because that's a thing that happens in like all the anytime Pee Wee exists, well, it's always it, in a different it's, world. It's right? not that weird because the show didn't exist when the movie came out. Well, the show doesn't exist when the movie comes out, but also like the rest of the movies he's in exist in like different worlds. Yeah, Big Top Pee Wee, he's a farmer, and in um oh my god, the one with Joe Manganiello is that Pee Wee's Holiday? Pee Wee's Holiday, yeah. It's again, you know, like. We're traveling the world. So it's just, yeah, he lives in different universes and it all is 
fun. I mean, there's heartbreak, obviously. You know, his bike's gone, but it's just a fun time. Yeah, it is. It it is a fun time. These movies. This movie is fun. I haven't seen the rest of them, but this movie is fun. It's just again, it's fascinating that this Pee Wee character, like the bit for Pee Wee on like all the SNL or whatever things, wasn't. Oh, we're gonna have Paul, you know, dress up as this. It was no, we're gonna put Pee Wee Herman into these weird situations, and that was a sketch show. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like that's just like fascinating to me that you just insert Pee Wee into something, and now it's a Pee Wee Herman thing. Oh yeah. You know, you put Pee Wee Herman into Seven, and now it's you know a Pee Wee Herman uh, movie. I don't see anything wrong with that. That would be so weird. How weird would it be if Paul Rubens was like the Morgan Freeman character in Seven? Would that just be super weird? I'd still watch it. Of course you would. Seven's a good movie. Um, also, yeah. anything with Pee-wee. Any- I watch it. Anything with Pee-wee? Anything. Anything. But yeah, so the movie like gets going and... We see his routine. Yes. We we know. We enter the, the movie. He's having a dream. He's on his bike, and he's winning uh, the Tour de France. Yes, and it's he's has like a little cape on. And oh no, it's the it's the number on his back. Yeah, but it looks like a little cape. Well, yeah, because they're gonna put the crown on him, so he's the king. Oh, of course, because yeah. you know, again, little cape, little little crown. It's it's wonderful. And then we wake up to his awesome bedroom. Yes, this is what you would define as an awesome bedroom. I've wanted if his house my entire life. I mean. It's nice and all, but like, it's hey, not real that estate, great. Real estate's pretty good in Pasadena. No, it's not. Everything's expensive. Exactly. But yeah, so he wakes up. He's gonna go to the magic shop, and well, no, he's got a day full of adventure. Of you know errands that Pee Wee has to run. You know, going to the bike shop, going to the magic shop. Um, you know, trying to be cool on his bike and do tricks. Doesn't he do tricks in front of like a bunch of like? kids and they're like man that peewee over there with his cool bike no it's just like what's that grown guy on the bike doing and then he wipes out you know on some trash cans which i've done imitating that scene it's a thing where this whole opening we're just getting the vibe that peewee is a child like he is not a an adult there he is a child like these kids are the only kids kids we see in the movie because there's francis his like rival yeah that which we never get backstory on why they're rivals but francis is a jackass basically or a spoiled ass where it's like okay i can see why there would be an issue it's well it's the thing where they're both like like they are both peewee types it's just francis is malicious where i think peewee is more sincere Mm -hmm. you know and i think it's a thing where it's um it is interesting that these two are acting like children, and then when we see the actual children, they're just acting like normal, like yeah. normal human beings. And I think that's why that opening scene is so important, because we see his routine, but we see how different his routine is from most adults. You know, you wake up, you know, go brush your teeth, you make breakfast. It's, you know, it's playtime. Yeah. It, it's you know he's got the oversized toothbrush uh the the breakfast scene i mean i think that's one of the most important scenes in film history the breakfast machine it go it goes the intro of the godfather it goes uh, citizen kane the breakfast scene from peewee absolutely impressive i mean that's one of the greatest scores that danny elfman has ever composed 
that whole breakfast thing because it's very I feel like every time we talk about Danny Elfman, you're going to be like, this is the greatest theme Danny Elfman has ever composed. And and every single time. Am I wrong? Every theme is the greatest theme he's ever composed. Am I wrong? I mean, there's a ranking system when you qualify it like that, but you know. But I mean, it's a great scene. The music works. Just seeing, you know, the ingenuity that Pee Wee has that, you know, he's able to have just, you know, toys and other things basically cook him breakfast. Yeah, it's a Rube Goldberg machine. Yeah. You gotta love a good Rube Goldberg machine. You have the Mr. T cereal, which I still want to try Mr. T cereal. It needs to happen. I, good luck with that? They might bring it back. They brought back the Oreo cereal. They could bring back the Mr. T cereal. One of those I feel is far more popular than the other. You know what's bad? Ariel is so young. When I told her about the Oreo cereal, she didn't believe me. She wasn't alive when the Oreo cereal first came out. Wait, what the fuck? Yeah, it it hurt. Wait, when was the Oreo cereal? Probably before her. Jesus Christ. Or she was a baby and didn't know. It's just like, how do you not know? Oreo cereal was one of the best cereals ever created. Jesus Christ. Okay, okay. Fucking Pee-wee's a big adventure. All right, let's 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 actually get over this. Because okay. he gets to the magic shop. He is doing his thing. He's going to buy wonderful gags because, you know, Pee-wee is a child and he loves the magic shop. That's what shop. he does. He's got to go pick up some extra bow ties. Yes. That's like him going to his version of Target. Exactly. And he leaves the his bike chained up outside on a clown. Yeah, because apparently everyone where Pee-wee lives rides their bikes. So all the bike stands are taken. And then that's when we get the the great scene with him, you know, pulling out, I don't know, feet of chain just to to uh, lock the bike up on the clown. Yeah, it's like a hundred yards of chain he's using to lock up the bike, and it's just very interesting that we open this movie and we already get that this is not a real world. No, nothing in here is real. This is a living cartoon. This is um, pre SpongeBob. Yes. And, you know, it's all this cartoon. He's going to the magic shop, and then he goes to the bike shop to pick up something for his bike. And this is where he meets Dottie? Yeah, Dottie. She works at the bike shop. She's interested in him. And Pee-wee, being a child, doesn't know, doesn't understand why she's giving him so much attention. It's kind of like, I'm just here to pick up the horn from my bike. And it's just, she's over here. Well, you know, you could take me out on a date. And it's just like, why? Why would I do that? I've got so much going on in my life. And it's not a thing where in other comedies it's like, oh, he's oblivious to it. It's like, no, he has just no interest in mm-hmm. it. It's a thing where Pee-wee almost exists as this kind of asexual character. Like, he's just, he just kind of is. Like, he doesn't, like, other people don't, like, affect Pee-wee. Pee-wee is just this thing that exists in the universe that affects others. It's like he Sheldon is... before he meets Amy. No, Pee-wee is chaos. He is He's the chaos that exists in the universe that everything spawns out of. Well, I hate to, you know, break it to you. You got to watch Big Top Pee-wee because in that movie, he's engaged. And then he breaks off his engagement and falls in love with someone from the circus. Uh, just like a sequel to ignore the, the lore established of and its it, first. It gets pretty, you know, pretty hot and bothered. Mm-mm-mm. Mm-mm-mm. Big Top Pee-wee just ignoring the lore set up in this. No, but, but, you know, we have him at the bike shop. Dottie's trying to put the moves on him. You know, we have the the great bit, you know, you don't want to get mixed up with a guy like me, Dottie. I'm a loner, a rebel. Dangerous. I'm dangerous. And then, you know, he leaves. He's, you know, so happy with himself that he let her down in this cool guy way. And then the bike's gone. 
the bike's gone. He faints, I yeah, think. Yeah, he, he comes back into the bike shop with the horn, honks it, and then collapses and knocks all the bikes down because he's got to be extra with this, you know, revelation. Of course. And it's very... This kind of leads into, I want to say, probably my favorite gag of the movie. Oh, when he has the meeting? Yes, because the cops are like, hey, this is a, you know, we can't really do anything for you. But so Pee Wee's taking it on himself to track his bike down. Mm -hmm. So he calls in the entire town Mm -hmm. to his basement. And it's like, I have here 23 pieces of evidence. And each one of these pieces of evidence is going to lead to the thief of my bike. And then it goes on. Well, yeah, because it's not 23 pieces. It's A to Z. It's A to Z. A to Z. And he's going to go through each and every number. Or, sorry, each and every letter of evidence to prove, you know, this conspiracy. And he starts going through it. And I love bits like this where it's just like, oh, this is a bit that's just, it's really long. And it just keeps going. And it stops being funny. And then it gets funny again. But there's a point where... He's like talking about his evidence and somebody starts like whispering in the thing. And he's like, hey, do you have something you want to share? Amazing Larry. And it cuts over mm-hmm. to this middle-aged guy who's just kind of looks like he's a little down on his luck with a giant mohawk that's just unexplained. And I'm like, why and is And there's his... thunder and lightning. And I'm like, why is his name Amazing Larry? And then just they don't acknowledge it. Again, it just goes back to him being like, well, no, I think Amazing okay. Larry is friends with Mario who owns the magic shop. I, I mean, he might, but there's, it, this is the first time you see him. But I, there's this whole, it, this is whole lore that this movie is just not explaining. And I'm like, that's just hilarious. Yeah. The fact that Amazing Larry just exists as this middle-aged guy with a mohawk is like, that's just funny. And that It's just funny. He just exists <laughs> in this world. And he he's was, just a person like every other person. It, it's, it's funny. <laughs> he's funny looking. But the, and then he goes back into like explaining everything, and then Pee Wee is like, I like how the end of it, Pee Wee's voice is a little hoarse because well, he's been talking nonstop. He's for been talking for hours. hours, yeah. And I like and I like that and I like the bit. And then he's like, you know, I'm gonna go out and and figure it out on my own. And then he runs into the um, fortune teller. Is this the fortune teller? Yeah, he goes out and again we're on the back lot of Warner Brothers, and mm. he finds the. We'll be back here again later. Yes, we will be back there later. But uh, I think, you know, it's somewhere. I, I think I read it. The gang of guys that jumps out at him when they're like, you know, you're new to this area. This is our turf. I think Tim Burton was one of the guys that was part of that gang. Oh, really? Yeah, I, I think I read that somewhere. But yeah, he goes and he sees the fortune teller. And, you know, of course, because she's committing a con. She's like, oh, yeah, you're you're looking for something. Oh, let me look through your wallet here. Oh, your bike. Yeah, yeah. Go to the Alamo, the basement of the Alamo. And I like how he's just like, I don't think you actually are a fortune teller. And she's like, well, are you looking for something? He's like, all right, maybe you are a fortune teller. <laughs> and it's, it is, again, like every scene in this movie is, you know, just is a joke. Every scene is a joke. And the fortune teller is Madame Ruby. Madame Ruby? Madame Ruby. I was should, trying to remember. Should I, should I know that? No, but it's just I was like, like I, th- I know it, I know her name. Yeah, Madame Ruby. Okay, for, oh, okay, that's the character's name. I thought you were saying that's the actress's name. And I'm yes, like, who yes, the it, fuck is Madame Ruby? Uh, Academy Award winning Madame Ruby. Yes. You don't know? Like I could have been a thing. Like Elvira's in this movie. Yes, she is because her and Pee Wee Paul Rubens were friends for decades. It, uh, it's gonna it, it is again really weird to think about you know these like these people and being like oh yeah like 
Because Cassandra Peterson was like a showgirl and all this other stuff, but she was like an entertainer, right? Yeah, she for like was a while before she did Elvira. Yeah, and then you know she found her character just like Paul Rubens did, and she became Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. We saw her at horror. Well, we didn't see her, but we saw her merch at um, Halloween Horror Nights. No, not or, Scary Farm. Not Scary Farm. Same thing. I was gonna say uh, Horror Nights, and I'm like, no, we went to Scary Farm. And yes, I, I wanted to bow down to my queen. So, so cringy. But it's I a, love her. It's a thing where, like, it's just fascinating because, like, oh, yeah, you know, Pee Wee Herman. Oh, yeah, ha, ha, ha. Oh, that was probably a bit he did in college. And, like, no, he, like, worked for a decade in improv as, like, a professional comedian yeah, before that. Yeah, and that's, like, you know, the same with Elvira. She was a comedian. And it's just, you know, all these people that run in these groups, it's kind of like... um that group of directors where it was like Coppola, uh, Spielberg. Oh, the movie brats, yeah. And it's just like, you know, it's fascinating when you see all these incredibly talented people grouped together. And then when you, you know, talk about them and you think about it and you're like, my God, how many, how is it possible that all these amazing people ended up in these same little groups of friends? Well, okay, here's an interesting thing. Because you bring up the movie brats, right? Because yeah. Tim Burton, he's not he's not in the movie brat era. No. He's like a, a decade too young to be a part of that group. Mm. Just like plain and simple, right? But I found this out about like the production thing, and I know we're like digressing a lot. But his first movie was not supposed to be Pee-wee's Big Adventure. He was signed on to do After Hours. Yeah, if you know that movie, and he was signed on. The producer was like really like dug it. Like he like. Tim Burton like, hey, I want to do this. He built a bunch of models and showed him like, this is how we're gonna shoot it. We're gonna use some forced perspective. We're really gonna like, like I really want to do this movie. It's gonna be great. And the producer was like, Tim, hundred percent in. Yeah, we're gonna finalize the script and we're gonna like get you into the studio. It's gonna be your big, you know, major motion picture debut. But at that time, Martin Scorsese had been grinding away trying to get last temptation of christ made yeah and he just couldn't do it and he's like i need to get a movie done you know i need to keep myself in the ballpark I, and i need to get this like urge to make a movie out of my soul mm -hmm. so that i can just refocus on to trying to get the passion project made and he reads after hours and he's like yo i really want to do this and the producer's like i'm sorry mr scorsese i got this guy over here tim burton He's the next big thing. He's going to make the movie. And then Turn Burton's like, bro, that's Martin fucking Scorsese. I quit. <laughs> like, he's like, what do you mean? He's like, that's Martin fucking Scorsese. Yep. He gets the job. I'll figure myself out. Give it to Marty. And that's like, as the mythology of Tim Burton was, he was like, his first movie, the thing that was supposed to break him out, you know, stratosphere, big career move. He was like, no, I'll give it up to Marty. He can, he can do, he can do it. It's fine. Like, I'll, I'll figure myself out. It's cool. He waited for fate. And this movie was fate. Yes. It is It is wild to me. But that was, you know, the fun movie Brad thing, right? Yeah. And we were talking about, you know, how all these groups, you know, come together. And it's so fascinating to see so many talented, famous people that were just friends to start with. And were, you know, cutting their teeth on whatever they could. And it's just, they be become legends. Yeah. But this movie is so jam-packed with celebrity cameos it is ridiculous yeah and not a lot of them are are um obvious no. there's a lot of like oh there's that character under a bunch of makeup but oh wait that's elvira or oh that guy who has one scene and is just kind of like a three-line character oh well that's like phil hartman you know there's a bunch of people like that but where we are in the story right now is um Pee Wee has finally you know you know hampered down he's like i'm gonna go to the alamo 
I'm going to go and get my bike. I'm going to the basement of the Alamo and not check beforehand if there's a basement at the Alamo, but this I is, know it's going to be there. Hey, this is pre-Google days. Pre-Google days, exactly. This is this is when men were men and peewees were peewees. And then, you know, before this journey begins, we have peewee that's out there, you know, you know, doing the, the meeting and putting up posters for his bike. And he knows, he knows that Francis took his bike. Because that's where they meet, you know, right after his morning routine. And he's trying, Francis is trying to buy the bike from Peewee. And Peewee's, you know, not for a million, billion, trillion dollars will I sell this bike to you. And then, poof, the bike's suddenly gone. And right as, you know, he's getting ready to go on his adventure, we see right before Francis and, you know, the little thug that he hired to steal the bike. Yes. And Francis is feeling the heat because Peewee's on the radio. He's got posters. So it's like, Peewee was right. He trusted his instincts. And now the bike is on its own journey because they got to get rid of the stolen goods. Yes. So it's very funny because we see the bike a few times throughout the movie, but Peewee doesn't notice yeah, it. Yeah, they're, you know, they're right next to each other, but they're always going down different paths. Yeah, and it's just, it's one of those gags that just keeps on keeping on in the movie, and I and I kind of like it. I like those little sight gags. But... Because it's nothing that's too extreme. It's just... He's either looking in the wrong direction and then the bike goes like right past him or chaos ensues and he just misses it by like a second. It's classic shtick. Mm -hmm. It's classic shtick. And it's funny because like Francis set up, oh, he's the bad guy of the movie. He's the one who stole his bike. And then he's out of the movie until the third act. Yes. And we're like, okay, so now we know Francis stole the bike. So the bike's location is not really a mystery to us but it's a mystery to peewee and we're following and when we finally get the payoff of you know where the bike actually is yeah. it's like oh cool fun little twist what have you but peewee he sets out on the road mm -hmm. and wow, this is this is the the problem i have with this movie is it's a lot of great gags and it's a lot of great vignettes because it's structured like you know a road movie a road comedy yeah. right i can't tell you the order of what any of this movie is because, like, once he hits the road, I look at that as, like, these are just little, like, five-minute, ten-minute gag vignettes throughout. Yeah, because, I mean, he ends up in uh, Cabazon, where the dinosaurs are, and that's where he meets Simone. And, you know, they have, you know, the heart-to-heart the -heart conversation. You know, everyone has a butt. What's your big butt, Simone? You know, that, that great line. Uh, there's the, a part where Pee-wee runs across, like, a... a criminal escaping prison mm -hmm. and there's a whole bit where they're like ah oh, there's the police block off peewee i don't think we're gonna make it if he was like don't worry i have an idea and then he's in like a dress and you know like the bit isn't that it's like oh it's a man dressed in a in a in a woman's clothes the bit is peewee is committed to this performance as oh, a yeah, woman you know, it's he, hilarious he's hitting on the cop you know they're you know he's being very uh very cute and, you know, they, they finally, he's had it with Pee-wee because this is where they go off the cliff when Pee-wee's driving at night. And you have all the great, you know, street signs where it's just, it keeps getting even more chaotic and it's just... It's like, turn back now, dead end up ahead, have a nice day, like junk like that. And I love it when they crash and like, you know, he's like, ah, Pee-wee, I'm too dangerous for you. And leaves Pee-wee in the dark. And you get the animated eyes in like the darkness. It gets super surreal all of a sudden. Well, when he leaves Pee-wee, he hits Pee-wee with his, you know... You don't want to get mixed up with a guy like me, Pee-wee. I'm a loner, a rebel. I'll see you in the province land, or the the promised lands of Riva Dirty, baby. And then Pee-wee's like, "Wow, 
deja vu. And it's just like, yeah, man, you just said that to Dottie. And now you've got, you know, this tough guy that's saying it to you. And then we jump into the very Tim Burton, you know, animated with the eyes that are, you know, looking for the the x-ray goggles or well, the night vision goggles the night vision specs and there's a lot of great sound design here you're hearing like all this stuff and i like when the lights come on and you see he's surrounded by like very obviously taxidermy animals it's but like it's kind like of as, hilarious but it's like as many taxidermy animals that they could find as many as you can fit into the screen yeah like it's a lot and it's mixed it's like you know bears zebras it's just everything i swear to god and i i really wish i like I like went back to double check. I think there's a shark in the taxidermy, like in the background, like some. I, I'd have to look again, but I wouldn't. It's like be a surprised. shark or a barracuda or something, but it's like next to a bear and a mountain lion. I I want to say that's there, or I might just be misremembering. But I think there's something ridiculous in there. Like they put something super out of place in the taxidermy stuff. But yeah, that yeah. wouldn't surprise me. And then you also get the like the the most Tim Burton moment of the movie, the Large Marge sequence. Yeah, that's what leads him to the dinosaurs. But yeah, Large Marge is very important. She picks him up after um, Mickey. This is drops him off. This is the moment because I mentioned to um, people, I was like, "Oh yeah, I'm watching like Pee Wee's Big Adventure or whatever," and they're like, "Oh, the Large Marge thing that fucked me up as a kid." Yeah, and I'm like, "Really terrified." I. It's one of those things where. Again, like this is going to be a thing throughout the the um, Tim Burton month. Where is this made for kids? Question mark because the it's made for everyone. It's, yes, it's made for everyone. But if you're like a little kid watching this and you get to the large Marge section, oh yeah, scared the shit out of me when I watched it, and I couldn't watch it for a long time. It was like I had to like look away because she just scared the crap out of me. Because it's a thing where it's it's a kind of out of nowhere jump scare. Yeah, but it's not a. Because it's a thing where you're like, oh, well, I haven't seen anything, like, that wild up to this point. Like, nobody's transformed before my eyes this into the This is pre-Beetlejuice. Vis- yes, no one's transformed before my eyes into a visage of death like Large Marge does. Yes. And this is the first time you see... A, okay, this here, we talked earlier that the Tim Burton aesthetic is within the movie, mm-hmm. but it is filtered through the Pee Wee Herman style, like yeah. his style of comedy, because this is the Pee Wee Herman show, basically. Mm-hmm. And Tim Burton's just directing the piece. But this sequence, this is Tim Burton being like, I get all the Large Marge sequence. Large yeah. Marge looks like a character that could exist in any single Tim Burton movie. She looks like this whole sequence up to you get to the, the diner where all the, you know, the, Truck, Simone. All the yeah. Simone and the trucks are like, yes, there's, there's a dark, stormy night, just like this one. And they do the whole bit. That's like a big fish. You can put that in big fish, would work totally fine. This is the moment where I'm like, okay, this is where Tim Burton figured out exactly how to put the stuff he was animating onto screen. Yeah, and we see that again with movie. the dinosaurs. When he has the other dream sequence and the dinosaurs are eating his bike. Yes. So it's like we see like these, you know these flickers in the aesthetic of Tim Burton, where it's, you know, the the creepy, you know, effects and the jump scares and the stop motion animation. And the comedy, too. I, mm-hmm. People forget that Tim Burton's a comedy director. Like, yeah. all of his movies, for the most part, are, well, at least for the golden era of Burton, are, like, comedies or very heavily comedic. Yeah, I mean... Um, Look at it like this. Pee-wee's Big Adventure, comedy. Beetlejuice, comedy. Comedy. Um, like, Big Fish, yeah, there's drama stuff in there. It's a comedy. Um, Batman, yeah, it's an action superhero movie. 
there's a lot of comedy in that movie. I mean, Jack Nicholson is just chewing every scene chomping on those scenes and it's funny like mm-hmm. batman's a funny movie if you really watch it i mean if you have a movie with the joker in it and you're not laughing exactly i mean like ed wood there's a lot of funny stuff in ed wood yeah. mars attacks there's like a, that's like a, another comedy it's like a b movie 50s like romp right yeah. but like a lot of his movies are just straight up comedies mm-hmm. and it's a thing where it's like well they're all dark and spooky and have a weird aesthetic and i'm like yeah but it's kind of like if Vincent Price told you a told you a funny joke where you're like, I know he's creepy as hell, but god damn it, is that a good gag? And that's like, you know, the large Marge mm-hmm. thing, right? Where it's like, you know, she does the, turns into a monster. Scares the crap out of you, drops him off, and she tells him, you know, before struggle, be sure to tell you large Marge sent you. And, and then they go in and they tell the exact same story large Marge did about the dark and stormy night. And then you're like, oh god, this is just... This is just fucking a funny bit. I can't believe I was scared of this. It's a fun. It's a funny bit. The large Marge sequence is probably the most iconic sequence of this film. It's definitely the one when I mentioned it. Everyone was like, "Large Marge, that bitch." Every single person I mentioned it to. I don't think it's the most iconic, but it's up there. I mean, like, what would be the more iconic scene other than Large Marge? I definitely think the breakfast scene. The breakfast scene. Because it's so much chaos going on because it's him getting ready and then make your you know, the house basically making breakfast. It encapsulates the whole movie. It does. But I mean, yeah, the large Marge scene is really up there. Just, you know, how dramatic it gets for that scene and the retelling of, you know, the accident and that night it's, you know, it was a night just like tonight, you know, this kind of ghost story. And then we, you know, cut to him having his dinner and my wallet's gone and you know him you know doing the cliche of you know you don't have money you're gonna have to go wash dishes yeah it's there's a lot of there's a lot of good scenes in this movie Mm -hmm. honestly but what else do we get out of this uh, out of like the middle section of the movie that's when you know him and simone connect and then simone has this uh alice doesn't live here i want to go see the world but i'm stuck in this dead end you know town well, you know, she's also in this toxic relationship and her boyfriend just happens to be pumping gas where, you know, her and Pee-wee are talking and he's just waiting, you know, for the next morning to kill Pee-wee with, a, a, you know, one of the fake bones that's on the sign for the Cavazone dinosaurs. And you have comedy ensuing. You have a, a big man chasing Pee-wee with a big bone. Very classic. Honestly, this reminded me because I've done like a big rewatch of Buster Keaton films mm-hmm. recently uh because i think i've mentioned this before i'm watching a movie a day for the whole year yes. of 2023 and i did a whole thing where i'm just gonna binge a bunch of buster keaton movies this is like a classic buster keaton bit watching it i'm like this is like stealing like right from like great classic like three ages buster mm-hmm. keaton steamboat bill jr buster keaton like classic classic comedy stuff yeah i mean i also um marathon all the hellraiser movies but we won't get into that that's for a different podcast but a new one? Yeah. oh god look okay i don't I, I here's my 30 second rant on hellraiser i watched them because the first one came out on my birthday and i was like oh i want to watch it it's my birthday i'll watch all the hellraiser movies it'll be fun i made a huge mistake i went through so much like waited through so much bad movie no one told oh. you to assign yourself homework, but there you went. I I did. I did. I had never seen any of them past, like, the third one. And now I know why. But, yeah, like, oh, my God, they got so bad. Like, I think 
Hellraiser Revelation might actually be the worst movie I've ever seen. And I've seen bad movies, like real bad movies. It might actually, but Revelations might actually be the worst movie made by a real studio I have ever seen. Interesting. It it might actually be. But Pee-wee's Big Adventure, not a, not, not a bad movie. No, great movie. Spoiling it already, I think this movie's actually quite good. Interesting. But, but we, yeah, we, we eventually get to the Alamo, right? Yeah, and we get there because Pee-wee, you know, and Pee-wee nature hops onto a train to avoid Andy, Simone's boyfriend. Mm -hmm. And now we have Pee-wee and uh, a very lovely train hobo singing songs on his way to the Alamo. This is funny because up to this point, Pee-wee is a big like personality and you could describe peewee as annoying right mm -hmm. he can annoy other people or whatever i think there's a whole thing where the escaped convict finds peewee like grating yeah but when peewee's on the train and the hobo starts singing it's like oh camp down lady sing mm -hmm. this song do da do and you see peewee be like yeah you know and they're singing along and then it goes on and it's the same yeah, gag jimmy crack corn you know yeah. all, all these songs and it goes on and you see peewee being like i can't deal with this guy and the hobo <laughs> guy's like yeah camp down lady he's just so the hobo guy is hyped to no end that somebody's on the train with him singing songs and peewee's like i gotta get off this train it's so I'm over it. And it's he done. just yeets himself off the, the train and he happens to end up, you know, where the Alamo is. Yes. And this who is the actress that plays the tour guide? Oh God, she, she's on she's on SNL too, and she's on Third Rock from the Sun. She, um, let me see if I can find her. Cause she I have recognized in a Jan Hooks. Jan Hooks. I have recognized her in her voice, because mm. she's a very distinctive voice. Yeah. And she is probably one of the has the funniest singular performance in the movie as tina as tina now sir you're gonna have to wait for, hold your questions till the end Please. can you say maze maze adobe that, these walls here are made of adobe can you say that all with me adobe. adobe and she's playing a very specific character like it's texan very polite mm -hmm. polite to the point of like annoyance and peewee just wants to ask her does where's the basement to the alamo and she's like no sir you're gonna have to wait until the end of the tour for your questions mm -hmm. thank you and it's that the whole thing and this this scene goes on for a while yeah like, and, and peewee is just getting progressively and progressively angrier and she's like you have all been the best tour i have ever had and i really do mean that mm -hmm. and it's this thing where the, i love when the bits turn into like this stopped being funny like a minute ago, and now it's like back to just being fucking hilarious yeah. because it's, it rounds about on it. But that she finally gets to the they finally get to the end of the tour, and they ask Pee and Pee Wee's like, "Can I? Uh, where's the basement of the Alamo?" And she's like, "Oh, honey, there's no basement of the Alamo." And everyone starts laughing at him, mm -hmm. and they start pointing and laughing at Pee Wee, and they're like, "Ha ha, get wrecked, nerd!" And it's it's very funny. It's very very funny. And you know that ends up with him, you know, kind of giving up. He's given up. He finds a payphone at the at the bus station, and he's like, "I need to call Dottie, so she can wire me some cash, and I can make my way home because I'm not finding my bike." And you know, he's trying to convince to her, you know, I really am in Texas, and she's you're not in Texas. And then he goes, "Okay, you know, hold on." And then he starts singing, you know, "The stars are bright," and everyone you know stops and claps. Deep in, in the, the heart, heart of, of Texas. Texas, that uh, that was a great bit. I. That that has to come from something, right? Like that, that's that that's what you do in Texas. Have you ever have you ever gone to Texas and been like, 
stars are bright, yes, big and bright, and you just wait for the waitress being like deep in the heart. It, it's illegal if you don't. Really? Y- you have to by law. Interesting. Interesting. It's like how how you have to play like Sublime in your car if you're driving through Long Beach. Exactly. It's illegal if you don't. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But yeah, like he, Dottie's like, all right, you know, we'll figure it out, blah, blah, blah. And then he, this is where he actually ends up at the biker bar, right? Cause he's... No, he, he goes to um, the rodeo. Is it the rodeo? Yeah, because um, cause Andy shows up at the train station or at the bus station. Because Simone is finally leaving. She's going to Paris. She's making her dreams come true. And then Andy, you know, chases Pee Wee off. And then he ends up at the rodeo. He's trying to disguise himself. Ends up on a... A bull? I was going to say... Yeah, he he ends up on a bull. And he gets knocked out. And they're trying to wake him up. And they're... Son, you know, do you know your name? No. Do you know how old you are? No. What's the last thing you remember? The Alamo. And you have them, you're like, yeah! You know, yeah! That's right, my boy! But, you know, then eventually he ends up at the biker bar with Elvira and all the other bikers. Now, this moment of the movie. So iconic. Sure. But this movie encapsulates how I feel about the movie. Like how I, I like processing this movie and why this movie is very difficult to. This is a difficult movie to like elevator pitch to somebody. Like, how do you sum up this entire movie in, like, a couple of sentences? This scene is, like, the best thing I can describe because how it works out is, you know, it's a big rough and tumble biker bar. And it's setting up, you know, Pee-wee's like, hey, everybody be quiet. I'm trying to be on my, I'm on the phone. And then, oh. I'm trying to use the phone. Yeah, and now all the bikers are mad and Pee-wee, you know, tries to leave, knocks over their bikes. Now they're going to beat up Pee-wee, right? And this is, like, a classic setup for a gag, Well, yeah, you know, that's the Satan helpers bar. Yes, the Satan helpers. And that's the thing. They're setting up for like a very classic gag. Oh, Pee-wee's going to do some like fast talk or he's going to do something to prove his worth. Maybe there'll be a bike race or there's this or that. He asks for, you know, his one request before he dies. Yes, he asks for his one request before he dies. And again, you're thinking, oh, this is going to be a setup. He's going to try and prove his worth to the biker bars and they're going to accept him as his own. But instead, he looks over the bus poi and silently requests the go-go boots mm-hmm. like the the platformed wedge heels he puts them on gets on top and as he does that he puts on tequila mm-hmm. on the jukebox gets up and just starts dancing it's not like this super like well choreographed it's just it's a it's like a jig he's doing it, a little it's, jig it's on the, the only dance i know how to do he's doing you you can dance better than that oh no i can't this is the only dance i know lies and slander but he's doing this jig on top of the bar and then everyone's just like at first is like what is he doing and then he proceeds to break dance yes he proceeds to like break it down and then eventually the bikes are like you know what peewee you're one of us and i'm like the that encapsulates this movie to a t there's no real logical one-to-one of anything in this movie it is almost like free association comedy. Where, or where or Pee Wee is just the kind of person that he just steals your heart. You know, these rough and tumble Satan's helpers, they want to kill him. And then it's like, you know what? He's funny. He's all right. You know what? I wouldn't mind if he was part of our club. He's great. Yeah, I get. But that's again, that's another thing where it's very childlike. And that's the thing about the movie where it's just like, Oh, well, of course they would accept me into their gang. I can dance real good. 
that's like that's the thing about this movie that if you watch this scene and if you think it's funny, then you're gonna think the whole movie's funny. But if you I watch do. this scene and you're like, this doesn't make any sense, I don't get this, then you're not gonna like the movie. This scene you can just show in isolation and be like, do you like this? And then you'll know if you like the movie. That's how I felt watching it, where I'm like, no, this is like the scene of the movie, at least for me. Yeah, it was one of the many. I mean, I love this scene, too. It's got Elvira in it. I mean, you have all the bikers that are, you know, let's kill them this way. You know, let's hang them. No, we're going to tattoo them first. Maybe we should let them go. No. It's just, you know, it's it's just escalating. And then it ends up, you know, with him dancing on the bar. And it's just completely breaks the, the tension of the room. It's a thing where I like the moment because the bikers aren't cartoon. Because, okay, the bikers are actually like a real threat to Pee Wee. Mm-hmm. They're not like, you know, caricatures, I guess. Like, there's a real threat to the scene, which gives it a weight. And then Pee Wee kind of breaks this, breaks it down, y'all. And it changes the whole vibe of the moment. And then I think after this, they give him a motorcycle. He crashes it. Because he's regaled his journey his you know his woes of you know i had a bike once that i loved and it's been taken from me and they're like sure buddy you know here take a bike and you know go find your bike and he crashes obviously into the sign of the bar because peewee doesn't know how to ride a motorcycle he's not a fan we go into the next dream sequence i think this is the one with the clowns oh yeah the clown sequence uh that's probably nightmare fuel for many Yes, and the clowns are, you know, taking apart the bike, destroying the bike. We have Francis that appears as the devil because, you know, Francis is the devil. I mean, as you do. And, you know, Pee-wee wakes up in the hospital to watch, like, Entertainment Tonight, and it's this new movie that's being filmed, and voila, there's the bike that's, you know, the star of the film. And this leads us into one of the best backlog (laughs) chase sequence. I mean, if, you know, you're wondering why I love Backlot so much and I'm, you know, curious about the history, it's this scene. It's like this and Blazing Saddles, right? This, Blazing Saddles, uh, Big Fat Liar. It's I, like... I want to say, did Gremlins 2 have a Backlot chase sequence? Gremlin, Gremlins 2 is in one of those movies where I could say anything about it and it's like, that might be in the movie. I, I don't think it was. I think it was just oh, a lot of, it was the building, the well, building that they worked I in. remember, now I remember, no, it cuts to like the movie theater and Hulk Hogan's like, hey dude, put the movie back on. Mm-hmm. Like that's that part of the movie. But it is very funny because this whole sequence that Chase, because he gets to the movie theater, sneaks on, gets the gets the bike, and now they're chasing him. He goes to like a Godzilla movie, the moon landing, the this, the that. He, he goes through like a, a 50s beach party movie. Uh, one of the best is, you know, when he goes through the Christmas movie, you have Santa and Godzilla in the sleigh. And then they're about to encounter Twisted Sister that's filming a music video on the streets of the Warner Brothers backlot. Which is wild to me. <laughs> Like one that dates the movie, like hella dates this yes. movie to exactly 1985. But I'm like, what the fuck is like D. Snyder doing in this I movie? I mean, you were dying when he rolled oh. through the Godzilla set. Oh, oh god, yes, I was dying. <laughs> it was so fun, and also it's a thing where it's like, it's not just like a Godzilla set. It's like, like you know, it's the thing where it's like, well, it's you know, it's a Godzilla set, quote unquote. No, it's like that's actually the models for like Godzilla and like Gamera and all this <laughs> other stuff. And I'm like. Did Warner Brothers own the rights to Godzilla at one point? Because how did they get like the likeness rights to put it in the movie? I think they have rights. And then weren't we saying that for the Matthew Broderick one, they took the rights away? Oh, for oh, that's right, that's right. Because 
the rights went to Warner Brothers at one point, and then Columbia or Sony got or somebody took the rights away, and then it ended up at Paramount, and then it took out, got taken away again, and then it ended up at Columbia. It's been around. the The Godzilla, the American Godzilla rights bounced around for like two decades before we actually got a movie. But yeah, Pee Wee finally gets like caught, I think, and but like a studio exec sees the black and white dailies, and they're like, "This kid right here." I think there's a story in this and then he makes you know his great escape out of the studio um oh my god when he's getting into the studio for the first time i it, his name is gonna slip my mind he used to be in uh the front of movie land wax museum you take the the picture with him what was it george burns george burns yeah yeah Pee Wee walks in with george burns because george burns has like his entourage with him and it's just you know seeing the whole you know the, fa- the fantastical life of being on a back lot. Yeah. And then it's just, you know, the chaos of Pee Wee and seeing him find the bike, evade security, uh, get out of the studio, and then he goes and he rescues the pets in the burning um, pet shop. That's right. That's how they get, he gets caught. Yeah. He rescues the burn, the pets from the pet, the pets from the burning down pet shop, which is just a hilarious, like, psychic, right? And then the studio head sees the the dailies right yeah. i got again like there's a lot of great vignette vignette mm-hmm. moments in this i can't keep them all all straight but the then they're like this kid he's got a story and then we're at the drive-in the, the climactic moment of the, of the movie and he's like picks up his concessions and he's walking back to his bike and we see every single person he interacted with throughout the movie we see the yep. bikers we see the hobo we see the J- the prisoner mickey mickey we see and it's um, not just mickey it's simone. Mi- it's mickey on the prison bus yeah leaning out the window we see simone and her new french boyfriend um it is and as he's doing that the peewee herman movie is playing and is it's like john john brolin i think uh let me see i i'm pretty sure it's john brolin uh, for a cool second, I was like, "Is that fucking Burt Reynolds?" I'm like, "No, oh, no, no, it's Sean Burlin." Yeah, Burt Reynolds. For a look, it's hilarious because it's James Brolin, James Brolin, and Morgan Fairchild. Yes, th- thank you. And the they're doing the Pee Wee Herman movie, and it's the plot that we've seen in this movie, but it's James Bondified. Like, and you know, he and fights and, like ninjas when they come to steal his bike. And James Brolin is dressed up just like Pee Wee, so it's like you know, James Brolin Pee Wee fighting off the ninjas. Yes, and that he fights off ninjas, and then there's the part where it's like, oh, the real Pee Wee Herman, you know, he's the bellhop in this scene. Mm-hmm. And this, okay, this speaks actually to like Paul Rubens as an actor. So there's a very specific way to play bad actor. Mm-hmm. Paul Rubin has mastered that in this scene because you know john brolin's like the name's herman p w herman and you it cuts back to the reaction shot of like peewee in like the movie and he's like kind of mouthing along mm-hmm. with the lines like he knows john brolin's lines too and he's mouthing along and james then he's like, brolin james brolin he knows james brolin's lines and then he's like and then he says his line and he's like shifting in place a little bit so he's always just off uh, center of the camera i mean and you mean th- like me during the movie when we watched it when i was just quoting line for line for line for line yes because i know this movie like the back of my hand i can quote it from beginning yes, to end yes yes but the paul rubin performance like you know what i was talking about and is like he's doing a very subtle thing where he's playing peewee as a being a bad actor but like we've just seen him act throughout the whole movie and how he's doing it is so subtle it's like 
perfect. Mm -hmm. Like, this is, like, a very, like, honed down and, like, laser-focused performance. And you realize that at the end of the movie when you're like, oh, Paul Rubens is actually, like, really fucking good as, like, an actor. He's not just a bit. And then, you know, it ends where Dottie tries to be like, you know, it's the end of the movie, Pee-wee. You know, this is the romantic kiss. And he's like, no. And then credits roll. Well, no, it's also, you know, he he tells her, you know, okay, let's get out of here. And she's like, but the movie hasn't ended yet. And he goes, I don't need to see the ending. I lived it. And then you have, you know, that great, you know, silhouette of them writing behind the screen. Mm -hmm. And it just plays and the transitions into the Danny Elfman iconic music. Your favorite. Such good movie. Such good music. But yeah, that is Pee Wee Herman. That is Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Tim Burton's first film. Feature film. First feature film. So I guess your thoughts on this film as Tim Burton's first feature film. Makes sense. Makes sense? Totally makes sense. This is a very Tim Burton world. You know, it's not his own that we'll see, you know, as the years come by, but it totally makes sense for him to jump in this, you know, very crazy universe. Yes. I think it's also a thing where it shows Tim Burton as being a very uniquely singular director and not just the whole like style and aesthetic of like the movie, right? Like again, there's a few, we were talking about it. There's like three or four moments of the movie where you feel like this is just a pure like Tim Burtonism. A lot of it is the Pee Wee Herman stuff, but it's singular in the fact that the guy's first movie is a huge hit. Yeah. Critically, commercially. He follows it up with Beetlejuice, which is even more like esoteric, singular vision, auteurist mm-hmm. thing. And that movie is also a huge critical and financial success. Yeah. And then they're just like, he does Batman and it's another huge critical and commercial success. It's you a have, massive success. Um, Edward Scissorhands that comes after that. Yeah. And it's a thing where it's like, He's a guy that has a very unique, very, like, of his own style and aesthetic. And he starts off doing basically a job for hire for another another guy's, like, property, right? Mm-hmm. You know, he, like, Pee Wee Herman, like, he's the draw. Yeah. But he's able to slide into it, put his own spin on things, and really breathes life into it. To where Pee Wee Herman becomes, like, an overnight sensation. Like, gets his TV, own TV show, gets another movie, you know. Yeah, the TV show comes out the next year. Yeah. And he, goes for five seasons. And go, yeah, exactly. He blows up. Tim Burton just keeps rising and rising and rising until eventually he makes the next film we're watching. This next film, which will be years later. Not too many years later, but not right after this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, he will be making Ed Wood. Yes, Ed Wood. Is that the... It's not the first film he does with Johnny Depp. That's Edward Scissorhands. That's Edward Scissorhands. But it's like the second or third? I think it's the second, because Ed Wood came out in 94, I believe. Yeah, and Ed Wood, this was the movie... Was this the first movie that Tim Burton ever directed that flopped? I don't know. Oh, we're going to find out then. But yeah, like Ed Wood, this is like... A very like singular Tim Burtonism. It's a movie about Ed Wood, who was considered and I think still is considered the worst director ever. And this is also a movie I have not seen in its entirety. I've only seen bits and pieces of it. Oh, I'm excited because I think I don't know if I've ever seen Ed Wood or if I am amalgamating like a lot of clips in mm-hmm. a vague like saw it once on TBS at like yeah. you know midnight kind of thing. 
but yeah, I'm very excited to watch it. Oh, me too. I can't wait. It's got Johnny Depp. Uh, you know, classic Hollywood stuff. Classic Hollywood. Bella Lugosi <laughs> is, you know, a part of it. But uh, any last thoughts on Pee Wee Herman before we do our outro? Um, if you haven't seen Pee Wee, I would say give it a watch. I give it two thumbs up. Uh, thank you to Paul Rubens who created this character and was a childhood hero of mine. He's still a hero. Uh, rest in peace. We lost him way too soon. But yeah, what 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 are your thoughts? What are what's your rating on this? Uh, I gave this movie four out of five on my letterbox, which wow. is again, I think this movie is very very good. I honestly think the only the only thing that I would have I have any issue with is like, fuck, I don't know how to pitch this movie. It's so singular, unique. It's so much fun. It's definitely a vibe, and it's a movie that really does make you kind of feel like a kid. Mm-hmm. Like there are a lot of like just good, fun laughs. It's a movie that actually there's a lot of jokes that kind of pitched for adults mm-hmm. in this that are kind of like surprising. But yeah, like I really did enjoy this movie. I'm kind of, I kind of want to give it another re- rewatch. I think you should, and I think you know, since you're doing your movie of the day, you should watch Big Top Pee Wee tonight. I might, I might. But for everyone who wants to listen to our next episode on Ed Wood, where can they go? If you want to listen to us on a different platform than you currently are, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and eventually YouTube. Yeah, you, eventually you can go to our YouTube channel, The Film Vault. That's The Film Vault on YouTube, where Dean eventually uploads slideshow versions of this podcast. They're the closest thing we can do to video. Yeah. Um, yeah, you can go there, like, comment, subscribe, check us out. We have a lot of content on there. And if you wanted to follow us on social media where we post most of our content, you can go to the Film Club Podcast on Instagram where we post daily stories, upcoming episodes, and random adventures we go on. And with that, shh, I'm listening to reason. All right, everybody, see you next week. <laughs>